G'day folks, welcome to episode 162 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. This week, we're going to take a quick look at some open positions that we've got on the team. Uh, there's an Ubuntu Security Engineer and a Security Certifications Product Manager position that I'll discuss a bit later. Uh, we would love you to come and join our team if you are listening to this. But first, we will do the usual roundup of security fixes that have gone and supported Ubuntu releases over the past week. This week, there were 31 unique CVs that were addressed, and up first was actually an update for Dpackage. So this is something that uh, probably doesn't affect, I guess, the vast majority of Ubuntu users out there, but it is pretty relevant to Ubuntu developers and Debian developers. Dpackage uh, is the package that extracts uh, Debian packages, and in particular, it had this vulnerability in the handling of source packages. And so in Ubuntu, uh, we have uh, source packages and then we have binary packages. So when you install something, you're installing the binary packages. But uh, before that, we have source packages that contain the source code, and that's what's used to, I guess, get compiled and then turned into those binary packages. And they are often handled by Ubuntu developers and Debian developers when uh, developing uh, package updates. In this case, uh, Debian packages consists of two tarballs. Uh, one of them is called orig.tar.gz generally and debian.tar.gz. So the orig tarball contains the upstream original source code you know, that you might be able to download from GitHub or wherever the upstream project is releasing their source code. And the Debian tarball contains all the bits uh, that is the Debian packaging that's put on top of that. And so when uh, this source package gets extracted, uh, first it unpacks the orig tarball and then it unpacks the Debian tarball uh, on top. And so you may be able to see where this is going. Uh, so in this case, it was actually a directory traversal vulnerability. So if the orig tarball contained a symlink that pointed you know, somewhere else outside of that local source tree, uh, and then you extracted the Debian tarball on top, uh, the de when the Debian tarball was extracted, it would follow that symlink and then potentially you know, overwrite arbitrary files as the user user that is unpacking that package. And so, uh, you know, it was reasonably uh, straightforward to fix that. But yeah, it's only really a problem for Debian and Ubuntu developers, but it does give you an idea of some of these sorts of attacks that might be able to be used as potential uh, software supply chain kind of vectors. Uh, however, in this case, you know, we're very rarely handling untrusted source packages. Uh, the way that, uh, you know, updates get done is that we pull down the trusted versions of packages from uh, Launchpad, and then we apply deltas on top of that. So, you know, we're never handling untrusted source packages to begin with very rarely, and even when we sponsor updates from the community, we're taking uh, deb diffs, which are yeah, the delta that we want to apply on top of the package as well. So yeah, unlikely that probably anyone was hit by that in practice, but it is a cool little vulnerability, again, uh, in that theme of software supply chain attacks. Uh, after that was an update for LogRotate. This only affects newer versions of LogRotate, uh, so Ubuntu releases 21.10 and 22.04. Uh, in this case, LogRotate uh, is you know, installed on all uh, systems by default. It's used to rotate your logs to make sure you know, they're not taking up too much space and compress them. Uh, however, uh, it was vulnerable to a possible denial of service attack against it because it creates a state file to avoid you know, potential parallel executions of itself. Uh, you, know, you don't want obviously trying to compress the same files at the same time or anything like that. And so it drops this state file and then locks that as a mutual exclusion mechanism so that another instance you know, won't run at the same time. Each of them will try to obtain the lock and you know, whoever gets it first will then run and then when that finishes running, it will release the lock and then the next instance can run. Pretty standard uh, kind of mutex semaphore behavior there. But uh, if that file doesn't exist, it gets created, but it's created as well readable and that actually means that any unprivileged user is able to take the lock on the file. That then means they're able to then prevent the real log rotate from running when it does go and run and then potentially you, know, you can cause a denial of service obviously against the service itself, but even against the system because eventually you may say run out of disk space or the like because it's filling up with all the logs that aren't being rotated as they should be. 
So that was fixed uh, for log rotate. OpenSSL was updated uh, after that for our 64 extended security maintenance customers. And I actually talked about uh, these vulnerabilities uh, a couple of episodes ago. NCurses was updated as well for our extended security maintenance customers, uh, 1604 and 1404 extended security maintenance. This update uh, rolled in 11 different CVEs that have been pending for quite a while. Uh, all of these were uh, seen as negligible priority because uh, they were all around the use of crafted inputs to cause like NCurses uh, library to crash. Uh, most of them were found through fuzzing and most of them are stack buffer overflows and they're all generally mitigated by uh, stack protector that we enable by default in Ubuntu. Some others with no pointed references, and again, you know the same kind of outcome though. So yeah, not uh, super high priority ones, but they've been fixed as well. Uh, LibXV was updated. Actually, I've talked about sort of X libraries in the last few episodes, and this one is another one for our 64 extended security maintenance customers. In this case, a remote X server could trigger an out of bounds read uh, in the X client through a crafted response. And again, that could trigger uh, you know, out of bounds memory access, which would cause a crash and denial of service against the client. Uh, you know, so if you are connecting to untrusted remote X servers, you're a little safer now, uh, but you know, you probably shouldn't be. <laughs> GNU PG in Ubuntu 18.04 long-term support was updated as well. This is a bit of an older vulnerability and I Pretty sure I've talked about this in a past episode, but uh, in this case, it's around, I guess, a weakness in the uh, PGP ecosystem and the SKS key server design. Essentially, uh, you know, SKS key servers uh, store all the different uh, PGP keys so that when you want to you know, validate someone's signature, you download their key from the key server, uh, you check if you trust it or not, and uh, that's part of this that we'll talk about, and then you go and you know, use it to say validate you know, the signature on there. So how do you check if a key is trusted? Well, you look for a signature on the key that corresponds to someone else that you trust. You know, ultimately, it's this web of trust concept where you have to kind of trust someone to start with to bootstrap the process, and then if they then trust someone else, then you can generally trust you know the signatures on that so what this means really is that i guess anyone is able to sort of trust someone else's key which you know is what we need but the key server will store you know any signatures that anyone else has uploaded for that key that then means i could go say and sign a heap of other keys adding a signature to all of those you could go and sign them someone else could go and sign them and then we keep appending all of these different uh, signatures to that key in the key server so you can end up uh, performing what's called a certificate spamming attack by attaching so many signatures to someone else's key that then you know, others are essentially unable to use that. The reason they are unable to use it is that uh, GNU PG would download all of those signatures when it went to uh, download the key. It would try to validate them all and that would take you know, an ordinate amount of time because uh, the OpenPGP spec doesn't actually limit the number of signatures you can attach. Uh, although the SKS key server does limit that at 150,000, but still that's such a huge amount that basically uh, GNU PG grinds to a halt trying to process all of those other signatures that have been attached to the key. So this was fixed for GNU PG by making it not import you know, these other key signatures by default. And then if you did to fall back to only importing self, uh, self signatures on the large key blocks. So that does mitigate it in general. However, uh, the upstream key servers have also changed. Uh, they now use a different design. So they're not storing all these other signatures and the like. But yeah, you know, an interesting attack there and actually was conducted in the real world against a bunch of the original uh, GNU PG developers and others. So yeah, not a cool one uh, that, but at least yeah, that has been now fixed for uh, HNF long-term support if you are still using potentially uh, vulnerable key servers. But uh, in general, you should be updating your configuration to use uh, more modern key servers, things like keyserver.ubuntu.com, which isn't uh, vulnerable to that. 
Moving on, we had an update for NTFS 3G in our extended security maintenance releases. A single vulnerability here, uh, essentially the NTFS CK tool, uh, which is used for I guess, validating NTFS 3G images, uh, would fail to perform proper bounds checking on file system metadata. As a result then, if you could get a user uh, to run that on an untrusted file system image, you could possibly get code execution uh, in the context of that user. It should be noted though that upstream have actually deprecated this tool and it's not packaged in uh, you know, the general NTFS 3G package in Ubuntu, it's in the uh, development version of that package. So if you're doing you know, development with NTFS 3G, you now get that tool, but you don't get it by default. So yeah, it's not generally something that is uh, able to be triggered against normal users. FreeType was also updated for our 1604 extended security maintenance customers for an out-of-bounds read when processing a crafted font file. You could perform you know, a crash against FreeType and therefore it's an of service against the user. CUPS was also updated and this is all the way back to 1604 extended security maintenance plus 1804, 2004, 2204 long-term support releases and uh, the impish injury at 2110, the current interim release. So three different vulnerability fixes were rolled into this. It's interesting to note, I guess, that CUPS is generally maintained by uh, Apple nowadays. And uh, they described this uh, vulnerability, the more interesting one, as a logic issue that was addressed with improved state management. And then they go on to say that an application may be able to gain elevated privileges. There's really not much detail in that. Thanks, Apple. Uh, but uh, it looks like this was actually discovered by Mandiant. I've got a link in the show notes to their advisory. And uh, if we look into that, uh, it sort of describes this in more detail. Basically, that CUPS provides the ability to authenticate with it through basic web authentication or through a 32-byte randomly generated token that is created at runtime. So if you have access to this token, generally you know, as root, you can only read that, you can then authenticate to CUPS and manage it. Uh, however, the function that did the, uh, the comparison against that uh, would only compare based on the length of the shortest input. So it's taking then as input whatever uh, token you've supplied it plus the real token comparing the two. But it, you know, if you've supplied it a zero length token, then it will compare zero bytes and can uh, conclude that it matches and then boom, you're in. So yeah, uh, nice one there. Uh, so yeah, pretty simple to fix that one. But yeah, cool little vulnerability there that you could essentially authenticate with an empty uh, passphrase to cups. The other two uh, issues that were fixed in cups there were both uh, memory handling issues in IP IPP printing. In this case, you would probably be able to submit a print job that could then cause an out-of-bounds read in cups and therefore a crash and denial of service against it. Ah, InfluxDB was after that. This is for Ubuntu 1804 and 24 long-term support. And actually a similar kind of authentication bug in InfluxDB here. You could basically bypass authentication in InfluxDB as well by supplying a Java web token with an empty shared secret. So yeah, kind of similar bug there as well. You know, it's, it looks like it's pretty easy to still get uh, code that does uh, authentication comparisons wrong in, in these days. We had kernel updates after that. Uh, the first one is for the 5.4 kernel, which is used on GCP, GKE, IBM, and Oracle clouds, and the Raspberry Pi for our Ubuntu 24 long-term support releases, and it's also available in our 18.04 long-term support release. In this case, a uh, couple high-priority issues. One of them, uh, Bing Jong, Billy Zheng, found an integer overflow in the IOU ring subsystem. In this case, an unprivileged user could essentially spam IOU ring with a huge number of requests. That would eventually overflow uh, this counter, and that would then eventually be used to trigger an out-of-bounds write later on. Uh, as a result, you've got controlled memory corruption there and the chance to perform a privilege escalation to root. 
And actually, it's not the first IOU ring bug that uh, they've found as well. I've got a link in the show notes back to one uh, that we talked about back in, uh, actually about this time last year. Uh, similarly, uh, Jan Horn from Google Project Zero, another name that we've heard uh, a lot uh, around uh, Linux uh, privilege escalation vulnerabilities in particular. Uh, he found that the kernel didn't properly check privileges of a process when allowing it to set a particular flag. And you could use this flag then to disable secconf filters on another process or on your own process. What that then means is that an unprivileged process would essentially be able to turn off secconf filters for itself or other processes when it shouldn't have been able to, and therefore bypass the intended access restrictions that were intended to be done through a second filtering. Also, uh, there's another regular kernel security bugs, I'm going to call it. In this case, it was a reference count uh, issue in the network queuing subsystem that would then uh, lead to a use after free and that would be able to be triggered by a local attacker. So they could probably at least crash the kernel or get possible code execution as well. Uh, both those were also fixed for uh, our 24 and 21.10 releases for uh, 5.13 kernel on uh, Oracle and GCP clouds. And finally, we had an update for WebKit. Uh, this updates WebKit to the latest point release and it contains the usual mix of issues that are fixed in these sorts of web frameworks. So if you were to visit an untrusted website or process untrusted web content, the attacker could possibly mount a cross-site scripting attack against you, a denial of service or remote code execution as well. And that is it for the week in security updates. Apologies for my phone pinging in the background there, but yeah, moving on. So something we haven't done for a while is have a look at some of the open positions that we've got on the team. So at the moment, uh, Canonical is hiring for an Ubuntu security engineer. This position is fully remote as uh, I guess a lot of the engineering positions are at Canonical. Uh, in this case, you know, you can come and join our team as, uh, you know, someone like myself or anyone else on the team who does regular security updates and the like. You know, we're looking for people who uh, have obviously a strong interest in Linux and security, who have a background on security as well, uh, who are interested obviously in making sure that Ubuntu is the most secure distribution out there. And that is not just through things like doing regular security updates, but also through, uh, you know, looking at code reviews and the like, um, trying to harden packages and harden Ubuntu as a distribution, that kind of thing you know providing uh, support to our customers and the like as well so you know if you listen to this podcast and you're a, a software developer or security engineer you probably have a strong aptitude for this kind of position already so uh, i've got a link to it in the show notes i urge you to check it out and apply uh, as well, the other position that we're currently hiring for uh, security related is for a security certifications product manager. And that is around, I guess, our, obviously our certifications products like uh, CIS benchmarks, uh, FIPS uh, certified, uh, different pieces of software, uh, FedRAM compliance and the like. So if this is something that interests you, you know, if you want to make sure that Ubuntu can be compliant in these certain uh, areas, and can meet those uh, certifications and the like, uh, yeah, definitely check out that and apply as well. All right, so that takes us to the end of this week's episode. Thanks, as always, for listening again for another week. If you want to get in contact with the team about anything you've heard on this uh, show or others, please feel free to email us at securityubuntu.com. We also hang out in the Ubuntu security channel on libera.chat, the awesome IRC network, and we are on Twitter too, at Ubuntu underscore sec as well. All right, I'll be back again with you all next week. But until then, remember, keep calm because we've got your back and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.